So that is her first time singing that song. <laughs> no, no. She hasn't practiced one bit. This is her first practice. <laughs> no, the boys, after a while, they were saying they were getting a little bit annoyed because it was happening so frequently. But you can see how frequent, the, how sweet it ended up being for all of us. So, and uh, what an incredible story. Um, they actually, if you read some of the story, they call it legend, and I'm not sure exactly why. I'm not sure if that is because there's parts of it that they're not sure if it's completely true or not. Um, but despite that, it's a story that I think encourages us all, all and inspires us. Um, so I would, uh, I would recommend looking into the story of King Wenceslas Lass. And... Um, yeah, right. My <laughs> wife will help you with that. My wife will help you. Yeah, King King W, and it'll spell the rest out for you. <laughs> Let's turn uh, in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. be a little bit of reading here to cover the story, the Christmas story, but I feel like um, before anything should be preached, I think that it would be best for us to hear the story right out of Scripture, just as it says it. Um, sometimes that's better than any preaching you will ever get. So, uh, Luke, and I might actually ask for some volunteers, so if you get to volunteer, uh, or I told you, um, just make sure to read loudly. <laughs> so, Luke chapter 1 starting at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Isaac, you can turn me down just a little bit here. Uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, you are highly favored, and the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of in you shall be called the Son of God. And behold your cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her as was who was called barren. And for with God nothing shall be impossible. 
So this, um, this is what I would call the first miracle. You know, this wasn't the virgin birth. This was the virgin conception. I'll get back to that here in a little bit, but I think we'll just go to the second part. So if somebody would be uh, willing and bold enough to uh, go to Luke chapter 2, and I would like somebody who would read verses 1 through 7. Anybody read verses 1 through 7? And then if somebody, uh, which I actually titled that The Second Miracle, and I'll explain that later. Um, and then what I call here The Third Miracle, um, Luke chapter 2, and this will be a, a good handful of verses, so 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And then lastly, and I still include this within what I call the third miracle, would be uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Gathered all the sheep, they were 
said to him, O Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, art not the least amongst the kings of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that my people shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he was called the wise man, inquired of him diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw that star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they were come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from Herod all that day and every day. Going back to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 37, um, we read this. We read the first part of this miracle story. And as one of our songs had said, that Jesus was born, that men may no, that men may no more die and that men may be saved. And so we think about the purpose of why I was born. We say this man was born for this. So if he's uh, an athlete and super talented in an athletic ability, we say he was born for that. So this it's like they found their niche in life, and this is what they were born for. And so when we think of the story the Christmas story told to us, we have to realize that that's what Jesus was born for. He was born for the purpose of our salvation, to liberate us, to give us freedom. And there's more to that freedom than, and, and I think this is where we kind of misunderstand, is that harnessed in the story, this Christmas story, is a lot of hardship, a lot of struggle. And it isn't the alleviation of all struggle. And that, to some, that would be what we would call freedom. But if we take a, a deeper glance at the story of Christmas, we find that God invests his miracles within the hardships, within the troubles and the stresses that come in. And I was, I was talking to my wife last night. I was like, how many times, whenever we really felt like a Christmas came in in our life and we were hardship-free, struggle-free, stress-free, Oftentimes it seems like this time of the year for many people is some of the hardest times of the year. And we don't want to admit that, even as Christians, that when, when we're on the precipice of the, the, the celebration of our Savior's birth, that we are struggling worse now than we have in any other time in our life. And... As I spent time pondering, Lord, what does this story mean to us today? And I thought, you know, it seems to me that we have to tell the, the story in light of the facts. <laughs> um, and so I want to share a few of those with you or go back over them again. We read them, but I don't know if we caught them while we were reading them. So in this story, in this part of the story, in the first few verses of chapter 1 in Luke, we have the, the virgin what I call the virgin conception. So God is giving this problem, this promise that he is going to, uh, through the Holy Spirit, going to conceive within Mary's womb the Christ child. Now, 
this is important to think about because there was a lot of things happening. First of all, she was looked at as a woman who had committed adultery by everybody else around her because this to the world around them is an impossibility. And so it seemed more likely that she had been with some other man outside of Joseph or that Joseph was the father to this baby. And But that couldn't be legitimized. But imagine not the publicity, but the shame that she's going to feel in that moment. And, you know, this is what piques our curiosity in Christian faith because we're like, God, why? But the truth of it is, is how could it have happened any other way? There's no way that God can do this kind of a miracle and the woman end up with this child and and pregnant and for it not to be pretty well aware that it had happened. And Joseph knowingly couldn't name himself the father. So there's a lot, I'm sure, that not only do we not know, but we can only imagine the stress that came. And he was willing to put her away privately, the Bible says. So notice that this is going to cause a divorce so that he could at least do everything he could to uphold her honor. And yet the Lord said, no, you're not. You're going to marry her. And we want to remember that when God sometimes has to do what he has to do, he can't remove every trial. And he's not going to take away every hardship in it. And this is just one of them. Um, but yet I want to think about something here. She's having this. And it says Mary ponders in her heart. She's trying to take in, is this for real? Is it possible that all of the women of the world, from the, from the beginning of time to the end of time, I will be the only woman who will ever carry within her womb the Son of God? How is this possible? And I, I don't know how you would be thinking of that, but I would be, from my standpoint, I'd be thinking, I don't know how God decided on me. <laughs> Why me, Lord? And obviously God has his mind and his plan there. But I think this is what's tremendous about that story, is that I'm more than sure that when Mary was pondering it, she didn't see in herself the worthiness or the worthiness above all others for such a thing. And that's important to us because as you're stepping into what God wants to do in your life, what God promises you, what God favors you in, specifically you, individually, you are going to experience and carry a promise that God gives to you personally. And you, you can't boast in that you were worthy of it. You get to enjoy the humility of it. And the more we embrace what God does through humility, the more God can do through that. And so here is um, Mary, and she's experiencing something so phenomenal. I can't imagine. And so here I said, imagine the universe. Here it is, the scripture says, and I mentioned this earlier, cannot contain him, speaking of God. And yet how... As hard as it is to believe, he cannot. How can he fit into a virgin's womb? And you know, I thought. I think that the smallest picture, and I may be wrong at this, but this was my thought. I think it took nine months. And that's, I'm, I'm gathering if I understand scripture right. And so I don't think that we're looking at the baby in the the manger. I think we're looking at the smallest form of human conception. Somehow, God made His way into. 
So just like anyone beginning the stages of birth, I think that that's the same thing we're looking at. And I might be wrong, so this is some, uh, some of my own postulating, I guess. But even if not, I would say this. Do you know in any biblical account of any miracle greater than this? It stretches our imagination beyond anything. How can the universe that cannot contain the Creator itself somehow manage to get inside of the womb of a virgin? And I think the reason why we need to see this is because of all miracles that God will ever do, He wants us to know that the most important miracle that ever took took place on the face of the earth was the conception of Jesus Christ. He wanted us to know that no matter what happens in the world around us, no matter what, that because He sealed this miracle, the most impossible miracle, the most difficult one, and He made that one happen, that there's nothing you or I will ever face in this life that will be too great for God. And so if you'll go back and look into verse 37, the angel Make sure that Mary sees this and understands that. Look in verse, I'm over here in Matthew. Let's go back to Luke chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to actually read verse 36, just proceeding. And behold, your cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. I don't know about you, but I've had those times in my life where, and I'm sure it has been with probably all of us in this room, where God was speaking something in your heart that you, you could not understand how it was possible. And if you haven't come there, at some point it will be. And, and God has to share with us this, this word for us, with God nothing's impossible. And I can say, if we're looking at God, we, we, would, we would know that. Mentally, we know that. But when we're facing incapabilities and personal struggles within our own life, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it's the most solid and most difficult thing to tackle, is this is mine. This one belongs to me. I own this struggle. And God has said, God has declared that nothing is impossible. So that when you are sitting in Mary's shoes in your own fragment of life, and you're like, Lord, how can you make your promise come to pass for me? How can I see this happen? What do I know for sure that you will do? And so this one thing is for sure. God didn't promise Mary that this from this time forward that all the transitions and things that um, had to take place to bring Jesus into the world were going to be trouble-free or not without extreme difficulty. But one thing she could know, that no matter what I go through, no matter what I face, no matter what trial I'm going to deal with along the way, I know that this child inside of me is going to be born. I know that much. And we can go back to Abraham and remember what God had told Abraham. And he said to Abraham that I'm going to give you a son. And he waited till Abraham was almost 100 years old. And the scripture says of Abraham that Abraham believed and that he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. 
and that he was fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now I can say, there's a lot of things that we would like to say, Lord, could you not also along the way, while you know, you're performing this problem, make everything else easier in my life? Take away the other trials that come with it. And God's not going to guarantee that because part of the sweetness, part of the joy, part of the fullness of God's promises and provisions given to you is from the cup that you drink with it. So when you suffer and you receive the promise and you receive the miracle, you're going to enjoy it more. As we've often said, you know, if you're the more, a thirst, more thirsty a man is, the more he's going to enjoy when he actually gets the drink of water. And so God establishes sometimes the beauty of it. And honestly speaking, and I'm more than sure any of us who've gone through a trial and God's brought us safely over to the other side and revealed himself more through it, I think we all agree is that we would, we would we cherish those moments of hardship because he was holding us. He was strengthening us. He was establishing uh, a validity in our faith to him while we were going through it. And so we actually, in a way, almost longed for that trial. I remember a man one time, he said he went through the hardest trial in his life and he struggled so badly, but he remembered when God brought him out and how the Lord had revealed himself to him. And he said this, he said, I would have, I would have done it a, a thousand times over. I, after knowing what God did through this, I would have gone back through that trial any time afterwards. That is how God establishes himself in our life. And so, yes, we are probably painfully going to pray, Lord, please take this away. You know, I believe in your promise, but along the road, this is the difficulty here. So I wrote this, not a million. This is not a million and one or a trillion one. This is only God can. There is no recorded miracle in the Bible as large as this one. So when you carry your next prayer request to God. Remember this when you pray. Remember this. You know, we can pray, Lord, you, hear, you, you healed. You opened the eyes of the blind. You raised the dead man to life. But you did something even far more phenomenal than that. You birthed your son in the womb of Mary. And nothing else can trump that. <laughs> Nothing else can trump that. So at least you can say this, Lord, I know, even if I'm not sure if this is your will, I know I'm not asking anything greater than that. I'm not asking you to do something that's more marvelous, more majestic, more powerful than that. So I know you can do it. I know you can. And sometimes that's how we have to pray to God. Sometimes even when we have all doubts in the world and we have not established, Lord, I know what I'm praying for is certainly your will. But I know this, it's not impossible for you. And the only thing that I need to step into now is that you would reveal to me whether this is your will, this is your plan, this is your purpose. And when you establish that, you have just as much, can I say this with all the emphasis I can, you have as much room to believe and expect as Mary did that one day this son is going to come forward into this world. Absolutely, 100% sure, it's impossible that in all the world events, in all the kings and princes and those who would like to keep this from happening, that they will have any power to do so. Bring your armies, bring your authorities, 
bring all the men in the world established to fight this, and they cannot do it because God has established it. And when God has declared something, when God has given us a promise, He will certainly bring it to pass. There may be things we want God to promise us in. There may be things we pray that the Lord will give us the gift of. And we may not know that. We may not have that. But we can be certain of this. If God has promised it, He will bring it to pass. So then we move to the second miracle, which is in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And there's so much more that could be said there. Um, but I feel like I want to move to this part of it because this is where, where it gets real for us. And let me reread these, these few verses again. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Don't you love that? <laughs> and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth to Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because, because he was the, uh, of the house of the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, and packed in these seven verses is about all the hardship anybody could possibly endure and stress and struggle, immersed with it. Because here she is ready to deliver. This is her due date. <laughs> We don't know if she's got uh, five minutes or five days, but we know this is her due date, and we are being taxed and required. So this is a financial stressful time, I'm sure. Um, and doesn't this holiday season meet most of us in that criteria of financial stress time? And we're beginning to wonder between some. Some people are wondering, can I pay my bills or can I buy presents? And, and this is the time where most people are probably going to make the sacrifice. I'd rather my bill be late. I, I want to give gifts. And this is the time of giving gifts. And this is the time we celebrate and, and cherish those moments. And we love and anticipate looking at the children's faces, the glow, the joy of that, just as they unwrap gifts. And yet, the reality is, is that it feels like we're being taxed. It feels like we're having to go through the financial stress. And why of all times? You know, like, as like, especially in this county, where so many people are working just the summer jobs, so they're not making an income. Now we have COVID on top of that, and then you have other people that their businesses are folding. This is probably, for many people in this county, one of the most difficult times, or they might be able to pronounce, this is the hardest time I have ever faced in my life. And, and I read this story, and I think, you know what, that's interesting because... Joseph and Mary went through things that not necessarily line perfectly up with everybody else's trial and everybody else's suffering, but enough suffering for us to know that whatever we're going through, we have somebody to share in that same fellowship of suffering with us. And look what God did. Look what God did. 
So um, they're being taxed, and then he's taking his wife. Now, I don't know. I think naturally a woman, I would just guess, married for 16 years now, and I would guess that my wife, unless the Lord was giving clear direction for this, would have a hard time for me to take her on this trip. Now, this isn't a road trip in a nice, cozy Cadillac, 60 miles an hour to the hospital. This is probably on a donkey, on feet, rugged terrain, while you're ready at any moment for your water to break and this baby to come out. And you don't know if somewhere in between that your husband is not the doctor or the, the man for the delivery process. Because there's nowhere else, there may be nobody else in sight to do this. So even though you're confident that God's going to make sure he gets his son here, it may not be the easiest terms in which it happens. And hopefully they were aware of, Bible prophecy means this is going to happen in Bethlehem, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy for me on the road all the way there. And I only can imagine, and you ladies that have been pregnant, you can imagine way better than I can what in the world that would look like. And how hard that would be. You know, it doesn't say how Joseph and Mary reacted toward one another in this time. It doesn't tell us, was there strife between them? Did they argue? Or was, Mo, or was Joseph a very calm, collected, very gentle, very kind man? I would like to think of him like that in at least most of the way, if not entirely through this. And I don't need to see if Joseph had any flaws. I don't need to know what his flaws were to know what mine are and to know that that probably would not have been the case with me. But also realizing that this is the time I would want to give my wife the most compassion. And perhaps, maybe we should say this, along the path of difficulty, that they found the compassion of their love greater for one another than they ever had in any other time in their life. And maybe what came forward in that time was actually the thing that made it most blessed. And so would we walk a thousand miles in difficulty and trouble and stress only to have revealed in our marriages, revealed in our relationships with those that are closest to us, that kind of depth of love? And we don't know if that was what the case was. We really don't. The, the Bible does not tell us. But we know it was possible. Um, and then in verse, so they were they were being taxed. She was going on what I, I if I understood correctly, what I had researched on it was this could have been anywhere between a four day and a seven day journey. John, does that sound familiar to you? So a four day to a seven day journey, anytime this baby could pop, feel it, you know, it's just that close, and. Um, then you get to the location where this is supposed to happen, and it is full of people. And while I was gone away from the weekend, I was looking forward to getting back home because I was like, you know, I went through, I was in the Dalles, and um, you have loads of people uh, with their masks and everybody running around like crazy. And I was like, this is a circus. And there isn't any place in Wallowa County that's even remotely close to this. Um, and I can only imagine that even that was probably nothing compared to what Joseph and Mary were facing and all these people are gathered together and to such a degree that not only was there no place in the inn, 
but there was nobody that was willing to give their place up in the end for them. And I'm sure that Joseph had pleaded and did everything he could, just like any husband. It's like, my wife is ready to have a baby. It's not just finding a place to rest. I mean, is there anybody out here that has any situation more dire than mine? Let me in. <laughs> and I'm sure he gave every effort in his, as he could, but nobody gave them that place. And I wonder this, is that sometimes, sometimes we, we harden our hearts because we see the way the public treats our Lord and the way the people treat him. And under those circumstances, we just feel like calling out curses upon them rather than, Lord, just help me realize that somehow your hand of providence has orchestrated the events and your intention was not for us to have this baby in a manger because if you had, you would have made a way for this. But there was a reason why this baby had to be born in a manger. Do we all get that? Do we all understand it? No, we don't completely. But we know there must have been a reason. And so here it is. And the manger is not, <laughs> as I've been told, it's not a cradle. It's not a bassinet. It's nothing of that sort. Can we turn this down just a little bit more? Um, so it is a feeding trough for an animal. I'm sure they used the cleanest hay or straw that they had available. But imagine God's very Son, God Himself coming to us, not just in the form of a baby, but when He arrives, He's born and put into a feeding trough. Is this not God taking the most humble position on, on earth to show that the greatest of kings, the greatest of lords, the most divine and majestic, makes sure that there's no man that can say, I have humbled myself greater than my God. I have done something that's beyond what God has done. That no man will ever say that. And I wonder if these circumstances unveil not only the love and the depth of God's love for us, but the humility to reach down into humanity and do something in our deplorable and dark condition. And even kings could not imagine themselves doing this. Even peasants probably couldn't imagine themselves having their baby in such conditions like this. And yet God does it. Because he knows that there's going to be a world full of people that are going to say, in the circumstances of their life, they don't, they can't imagine, they can't imagine God dealing with such a hard situation, such a difficult time. And so I don't know, but I doubt that there was probably prejudice in the heart of either Joseph or Mary, but gratefulness that they even had a place in the animal inn. You know, there's a place in the barn for us to take care of this. And that God still did. See, this is the thing. When you get to look this Christ child in the face, and some of it, I think probably all of us have heard that song, Mary, Did You Know? And what the best verse, the one that hits me closest to my heart is, Mary, did you know that when you kissed your little baby, that you kissed the face of God? Do you think that there was anything that they suffered along this path? that compared to that, that when you hold your little baby, you're holding the Savior of the world? Is there anything? See, this is the thing that we don't realize, is that when God does what He's going to do in our life, it's going to be so full of the occasion of joy. There's going to be such celebration that everything that you've had to walk through in suffering will not compare 
to this moment. To this moment. Take you back into the Bible in another time. Mary. And she's, she's looking at the gardener and she says, where have they taken my Lord? And when she finally sees him, and he calls her name, she says, Rabboni, Master. And all of the love and the joy and the compassion of her Savior is stored up within her. And now all of the, the mystery and the struggle of him being dead is all gone. And I was thinking about this. Maybe what I really, 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 really want on Christmas is I want another encounter with my Savior. Lord, you can keep everything else just the way it is. I just want another encounter with my Savior. The one who took me from the grave of my soul and raised me up with him and gave me newness of life. Is there anything better? And so I think when God finally lets you hold your gift in his hand, and his gift, not just yours, but his gift to the world as he puts it in your hands, that you're going to get to see why you suffered and why you struggled, and it's not going to make any difference. It's not going to matter because God's gift is always greater. I think it's Paul in Romans who said the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. But maybe along that road and that path, they had those doubts and they had those struggles just like the rest of us. Maybe they you know, knelt down to pray while they were um, you know, traveling and journeying to Bethlehem where God's appointed place was for his son to be born. And maybe along that path, they cried some tears. Maybe along that path, they said, Lord, why are you doing this? Lord, why have you forsaken me in this moment? And, and that's humanity. That's us. We'll never say along this path, God, that you've given us, that we've been perfect along the way. And we've questioned you along the way. And we've struggled along the way. But even though that, we always knew there was something that you had promised us. And we hadn't quite gotten there. But all those struggles, all those tears are wiped away in the moment the Lord establishes what he intended in our life. And you know, he didn't intend to take away everything that uh, Mary was struggling with. But he did intend to do this. He intended to make whatever he did far greater than what she had struggled with. And that's all I could say to, today as I think about what are families facing right now? What are they struggling with? And how do I answer for the pains of humanity? How do I deal with not just the suffering but the sin of the world? What do I say as a preacher when I'm faced with all the doubts and the prejudices and the atheists and everything and said, if God were real, why did he allow this to happen? And what am I going to tell them? And all I can say is, if you receive God's gift, his Savior, by faith into your heart, 
it'll answer that question. Because that gift outweighs anything you'll ever go through. And see, when I was a boy, I remember feeling, struggling, wishing at some point we didn't have any gifts under the tree. Because it was the financial stress of our home. And I remembered my dad, for some reason, he'd erupt. And sometimes he would be drinking. It just didn't matter. But there was always this thing that happened. And we would shake the presents under the tree. And we just were really excited about the gifts. And, you know, weeks before Christmas ever got here, we were so excited about it. And eventually he'd erupt with anger. And there was stress in our home. And I remember feeling like I'd give up all of this just to have peace in my home. And you know, it was a few years later that I didn't discover the secret of God's Son in my own life. But when I did, that depressed, broken boy who didn't feel like he had a father and didn't know if he had love, all of a sudden began to feel that in his life. And, you know, I spent days, and I think the reason why I did was because for the first time I knew what love was, and so it wasn't hard for me to get down on my knees and pray to the God who loved me, the God who sincerely loved me. And I was so robbed of that love. I was so drained of it, so dry of it, that every time I found my way on my knees, God continued to rebirth that love in my heart over and over again. And I think he did this. I think he wanted to do that as often as I would come because he wanted to secure one thing in my life. He wanted me to know that his love was better than anything I had, I had to deal with in life. And he's, see, this is the thing. The, my dad, replaced by another um, boyfriend who was an alcoholic, by another man who was an alcoholic. So I went through this trouble again and again. But I embraced something. I had something this time. And this was my testimony. And so when I went to school, it was like, you know, no matter what I faced, and, and, and this was the joy of it, because God was so real to me. Here, this Not this Bible, the one that's worn out enough that I don't even bring it here, but it's a big study Bible. And I had worn it out, just for the cover of it, and I would take it to school. And it was about like this big. And, and if I had had a family Bible, I would have brought my family Bible. I mean, that big thing that covered the whole desk. And I took my Bible and I always put it on my desk. And then, and then I wanted to boldly, any way that I could, I wanted to make sure that this Savior who came into my life, the one who's the best gift that I've ever had, the most loving Father that I'll ever know. And I, had, I never liked the T-shirts with lots of words on it because I knew that somebody had to be there long enough to read it. I wanted the one who boldly said whatever it needed to be said right then and there. And so I had the one that said, Jesus won, Satan lost. And I would carry that. I would wear that shirt. And if not on that day, I had the day that the one that said, "Black shirt." Uh, what was it? Black shirt in uh, hot pink letters. It said, "All good people go to heaven." Not. <laughs> and so those shirts obviously got people's attention. And then we wanted to pray. See, there was there was nothing in me that wanted to cave to the in, introvert that I was when I had such a God that did such awesome things within my life. And because when I got on my knees, he revealed himself to me. That's all I can say. He revealed himself to me. And he was so real that it took place of everything else that I struggled with. And finally, my Christmas had come. My tr the, the present that you couldn't put under a tree. The present that's so big that it's bigger than the tree itself. And this gift I had finally gotten. And this gift wasn't going to leave me. This gift wasn't going to go away. This gift was for eternity. This gift was for as long as I live and beyond that time. And so what do I want more? I mean, that's the question. Jesus said this. He said, ask that your joy may be full. 
Is there anything more that you could ask for? Anything that's just not quite filled the capacity of your heart and you want more of? Ask to be given to you. And this is the God that's revealed himself in this story of Mary. And then we find, we, we don't finish with the miracle of just the birth. And wouldn't that have been enough if they had sat there embracing their baby, but God's son? Imagine that. You get to be the one person on earth that gets to hold the child form of Jesus. You get the one to care for him, take care of him as a baby. We love the Lord with all of our heart. And you could say, I think, Lord, if you had given me that privilege, I would have done it with the greatest joy. I would have made the greatest sacrifices for doing that. And then in the third miracle, we have the story of the angels that came to the shepherds. And I said, basically, the shepherds were the, <laughs> the, men, the men of the world that were the least uh, liked and yet they came to the, the shepherds. God has a way of finding his way into the corner of the most humble and most broken person there is. You know, we read the story of Hannah, and she couldn't have a, a baby, and yet here it is. Uh, God says he lifts the humble, and he gives joy to them. And so he did. And so here we are, the shepherds, and probably these men would think of all people that God wouldn't visit and all the people that God probably wouldn't reveal himself in such a great way, we're it. We're those people. And, you know, I think that I probably have, I could probably say that in different points in my life too, is working in a junkyard, a dirty old boy, you know, and, and I'm like, would God reveal my, himself to me? And you might look at yourself in that way. You might think, who am I? What am I? And God likes to, likes to hear people that say that. I think that God has a, this special angel from heaven. That's just my just saying it for the fun of it. But I think that he does, in a sense. He has a special angel to heaven gone on assignment for those who think the least of themselves. And, and in his heart, I think he says, I want to I show myself to those. And so here were those people. They were the shepherds. And they were the ones considered the least. And an angel of the Lord comes to them. And reveals, uh, and this is the this is the only place where we see that the angels of the Lord are showing themselves to the the shepherds and saying and proclaiming everything that God had said to Mary was now being said to these shepherds. And here he is, he's born. It's happened. All the things that the prophets from old all the way from Genesis to Malachi had been prophesying. Here it is. It's happened. And he's here. Go find him. And this miracle was so amazing. And uh, let me just re again reiterate some of the verses here. And in verse 8, that there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, and you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. No mistake. And I don't know. I haven't had an angel visitation. And some people who said they've had an angel visitation 
never seemed to have that reaction. I won't say that they didn't have an invitation from an angel, but I think the ones where God really wants to make sure he gets his message across, that those are the, the ones that scare you. <laughs> those are the ones that make you afraid. And so here it is, they were afraid, but I think this is a day that they're going to remember the rest of their lives. And when God has an announcement to make, he makes sure that you never forget it. And these are the things that we need from the Lord. When we remember Christmas, we need to remember God saying something to us we'll never forget. And then the last one is the wise men. And this is what's unique about the story of the wise men is because uh, they, were, they were just basically using astrology and there, there was the star was in the sky and they knew which way to go. But the idea is, if at least if I understand it correctly, but the idea is, is that when they get there, Herod had sent them because he wanted to worship the child. No, he wanted to kill him. Now think about this. The moment Jesus gets here on the face of the earth, the, the best thing that ever happened to the world around us, and yet the moment it gets here, there's already an assignment to put it to death. And this is what's really important, I think, for us, as we go forward, not just this Christmas season, but in the, the rest of the year for our life, whatever we're going to deal with and face, is do you not know that God wants to do something, but it's not going to be without adversity? There is going to be a devil or there's going to be an evil. Try and chase down and stop, prevent, keep from happening what God does. In some ways, that tells us God's the head of this. The other thing it tells us is to make sure that we do everything within our hearts to hold on to what God has given us. Because sometimes, even after God's given you that promise, you're going to have to keep praying. Lord, keep this moving. Keep doing what you're doing. And keep unfolding what you're unfolding here. See, what I see happen a lot of times in people's lives is the moment Jesus touches them, something of this world and by its nature seems to attack and find its way into your life. And it's interesting that some of the sometimes you can almost directly say the moment God did something for me, I have had an immediate attack like I have never had in my life. And I don't get it. You should get it. You should get it. We should get it. It was like, this is what happens when God does something. You know that you just, you just light it up. You just lit up the devil's path. In this moment, this is where he's going to attack. I like something that it was Leonard Ravenhill had said. You know, somebody had said uh, the devil, the devil was always bugging him and causing him problems. He said, well, why is he busy with you? Meaning that he's not omnipotent. He can't be in all places, omnish, uh, omnipresent. He can't be in all places at all, all times. So why is he bugging you? It's because you're a threat. Now, there's people that is, the devil's really not doing much. It's their lust and it's the sin of their life. He doesn't have to do much. He can kind of stay out the side and you'll continue to create your own problems. But the, the Christian who's made things right with God is going forward with Jesus. Make sure the Savior that was born into the world that was now born into their heart, that's the one Satan wants to stop. And you may ask, why have I gone through so much hectic, how much trouble I've gone through in my life? It's probably because you decided somewhere along the line that you were going to go all the way with God and you weren't going to let anything stop that. And that's why you're in an all-out attack. And it may be a warfare. But what's incredible about it is it's those same people, no matter what they face, still seem to serve the Lord. And I love what God does in our life because he gives us a resistance. 
James says it. He said, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. The, the focus is not resisting the devil. The focus is submitting to God. And I think the church is always being recalled back to that position of not is Jesus going to be born into our hearts, but how are we carrying him now that he has been born into our heart? How are we nurturing the Jesus that we hold in our life? that's been born inside of me. How am I nurturing that? And some of us can walk away saying, I haven't been nurturing that. I haven't been spending my time with God. And I haven't been getting a download from the Lord that replenishes and strengthens me. And, and I just want to say this one more time, because Jesus' goal for us was not that there was a charge and recharge, you know, plug and unplug kind of effect. I just roll up my Rolls Royce to the, the fuel pump and just get fueled up again and then go out and ride until I go empty. I lose that charge. Jesus said um, it was called it an abiding relationship. And so when he talked about abiding, he never intended that you and I should have a common charge and recharge mindset in our Christian life. There was a constant supply. So basically we talk about it like a trickle supply, that I, I'm being charged every day. I'm staying at 100% because I'm maintaining that abiding relationship with God. And so this has been a huge area in my own life. And I would say this is the best thing we could do here in Christmas is, Lord, if I've been that Christian who gets on my knees maybe in the morning, and maybe it's more sporadic that, the issue isn't how often in this sense, but are you satisfied? <laughs> is it satisfactory? Do you feel like it is? And so you can say, I haven't been, I get on my knees and I have my hour in the day, in the morning, maybe in the evening, just making rough description here. But the idea behind it is, um, I, I didn't let you in during my work hours. I wasn't meditating. I didn't have a song throughout the day. I didn't abide with you. I didn't maintain my prayer closet mentality throughout my day. And, and I noticed, and I have, you know, I've been there working, busy, phone calls, crazy stuff going on. You feel like you're a New York businessman, and you're not, but... You're just going through all that craziness. And you're like, how do I, in those moments, bring God down? And the reality is, for most of us, it's just a loss of discipline. You know, what I notice is when you're um, um, madly in love, you don't have to discipline being in love. You don't have to discipline the feelings that come with it. And you don't have to fight in order to make it happen. Because you want it. And you're tied. I remember that, you know, when just when my wife and I were first dating, I remember feeling that I just can't wait to get back, get done with work and, and spend my time with her. But while I was at work, all that same love was still deep in me. I just didn't get to be with the person, but I was having it. And I think the reality is, is that Jesus, God gave us this Christmas story because he wanted us to not, I guess I would say this, to not be satisfied with the trickle but to experience deeper than that. And all I know is, is that if Jesus said, abide in me, he meant it. And that's a whole deeper level for all of us. And I'm always encouraged when somebody tells me how the Lord throughout their week has been ministering to them. And that is his testimony. So praise God. Father, we just want to give glory to your name. Thank you, Lord, uh, because Christmas is special. Because you were born.
to minister to me. You were born to minister to everybody in this congregation. And Lord, as we look at empty seats here, we realize there's people in this community that not just in this church, but Lord, in a sense, there's seats already. There's places that you've reserved for them because you've given your only begotten son. And they haven't made their way to sit in your auditorium, to spend time in your presence, to be with you, Lord. And you want to usher me into all that the fullness of God is. And you said in your word that if you spared not your own son, not only did you bring him into a cruel world in baby form, but he left the world in a bloody form. And yet, Lord, you didn't spare him. The greatest gift that heaven had to offer, Lord, as one brother once said, that you bankrupted heaven. And Lord, if you bankrupted heaven by giving your son, then, there, then how much more? Will he give us all things that pertain to life and godliness? So, Lord, if we're hungry today, if we're thirsty, if we feel like there's more, God, that you have for us, then certainly you do. And as the widow woman who filled, filled the jars, that God, it said the, the oil did not cease until the vessels ceased. Lord, until they stopped bringing empty jars, then the oil quit. Lord, if they had had an infinite number of jars, there was an infinite supply of oil. And so, Jesus, I just pray for my brothers, and I pray for my sisters. I pray for this Christian world now, that, Lord, there's oil for them. Have they quit bringing the jar to you? Lord, have they quit coming to you as if to be empty every time? Lord, for you to fill them and keep them full. Lord, as the world emptied them, as the struggles and the strains of this life and the pressures of the world around them, Lord, just put a dent in their heart and drain them of what you've put in them in the past. If so, Lord, then I just pray that, God, that you would this morning help them come into that room and close the door and let them be refilled one more time. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. In Jesus, Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen.